This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with my friend Lisa Shea Munt of the Pulse of GovCon. Lisa, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you, Mark. It's your first time. It won't be your last it time. It is. But <laughs> so um, your partner's been on, Amber Hart. Um, but tell people who you are, what you do, and tell them about the Pulse of GovCon, please. Certainly. So my name is Lisa Shaymont. I am the co-founder of the Pulse GovCon. And we are an advisory firm for government contractors that specialize in all aspects of the business development acquisition lifecycle. We offer consulting services. We actually have a business intelligence membership platform with some software components. And we also do training, not necessarily by choice of our uh, business plan, if you will, but just as a natural byproduct of who Amber and I are as people. Um, yeah, on the training side, uh, you guys are, are pretty thorough. Um, I've tapped into your knowledge base a couple of times. Um, uh, what, what, tell them what they can find at the membership portion of the Pulse, please. Certainly. It's anything that you would need market intelligence data-wise. Uh, we try to make an affordable option for small businesses to get breakdowns of things like the presidential budget and obligation numbers. And we have a database of uh, federal program industry day slides and information in that regard. We have a weekly newsletter that is a huge aggregate. We call it the Mac Daddy of government contracting information that appears in your inbox every Friday. And we even have uh, a tool called Part 9. That is an interactive search platform that custom builds business development pipelines for organizations. Cool. All right. So, um, and you guys just did a session for the uh, Government Marketing University annual game conference too, correct? We did. It was a lot of fun. We were so happy to be involved. Yeah. So what, what did you cover there? Basically the same? Um, so that was actually five considerations for doing marketing for business to government and how different it is than people that market business to business, the business to consumer. Um, it was just all the considerations that you need to know to do business with the federal government, like what the laws are and anti-bribery rules and all of that good stuff. <laughs> ah, the minutiae. Yes. I don't, I don't talk about exactly. the ethics stuff much anymore because most of the people I deal with are a little further down the line, but it's always good to, uh, to remind folks that they're there. Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked about um, just what you should include on things like your capability statements and your one-pagers and what information is necessary for contracting officers to find you. And how different it is marketing, you know, commercially, where you have to check the boxes for these people. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to find you appropriately. 
<laughs> yes, uh, checking checking all the right boxes. So let's 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 take a dive into uh, into your head, if you will. Um, market in scary intelli- place, Mark. You sure? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's no, it's not as scary as mine. Believe me. Um, but we won't go there. Not today. Uh, so market intelligence. Let's let's talk about what small businesses need to know. Certainly. So, you know, when Amber and I started the Pulse of GovCon, we did it with the small businesses in mind. And we truthfully started our organization to increase open and honest discourse around market intelligence for federal contractors. And for small businesses, it's really all about knowing how the federal government acquires their services. There are so many federal contractors out there between DOD and civilian, those sectors, and just they pop up constantly. And some of them are established malls. Others are mom and pop shops. Um, But everybody really needs to know about the piece of the pie that they're trying to acquire. So, for example, uh, we did a data breakdown between FY15 and FY20. And just to Give us a baseline. The federal government set aside approximately $2.8 trillion for small businesses, which is a huge number, right? They only obligated $1.52 trillion. So that's about 55%. And then from there, the breakout of the top five federal agencies with the most eligible small business dollars are DOD, Department of Energy, Veterans Affairs, HHS. And DHS, and they each have their own independent breakdown as well. So we like to just start by a level set of, hey, that's a huge number, and small businesses get really, really excited by that. Um, But then you start seeing the breakout of where this is being spent, and if those top five contractors aren't necessarily within your strategic domain, what does that mean for you, the small business? And as small business dollars growing, what are we really going to see, you know, looking forward? So what we like to say, though, is even though there are these top five contractors and there's this huge bucket of money that are being set aside for most, you know, eligible small business dollars, on average, the socioeconomic small business categories have really only seen a 10% increase in year-over-year growth in federal dollar obligations. So I just like to start with like a level set of the amount of money that has been there between you know the last couple of fiscal years and be able to look forward on what it's going to be in the next okay so uh run through those agencies again dod doe va yeah and who are the other hhs and dhs hhs that's the one i was missing all right so um so they're doing better than average obviously yeah so, although it's funny because that's even there's the small business dollars that they've set aside but then each of them have only obligated a percentage of those small business dollars too so even within the top five contractors you know dod had 1.7 trillion dollars set aside for small businesses but only obligated only spent 50 percent of it doe had 170 billion but only spent 12% of that, 20 billion, and so on and so forth. Okay, so um, percentage-wise, which agency or agencies are are closer to the top of the list? Do we know? That would be 
Veterans Affairs and DHS. That okay. they have spent 82 and 84 percent of their that, budgets over the we, lot those past five fiscal years. Okay, so VA, I'm assuming, obligates a lot of that to veteran-owned businesses. Definitely a, a percentage of it. So within the socioeconomic categories, there's general small business dollars, the way that it gets tagged um, in things like FPDS. And then there's some that get tagged individually for the socioeconomic categories as well. So that's veterans, um, veteran-owned small business, SDVOSB, SDB, WSB, 8A, and HUBZone. So when it comes to the percentages of where the dollars went within those five fiscal years, about, let me do some math, almost 10% went towards SDVOSB, VOSB contracts specifically. Okay, cool. That's across the gambit, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, what else do we uh, we need to look at in, in market intel? I mean, there's a lot that's... What? Let me ask a different question. What's your favorite platform for digging out this information? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question because I know. part of our platform is the fact that there are so many sources of information. And that's actually something that small businesses should be aware of as well. You know, obviously there are commercial firms out there that aggregate data. They pull it. They, they clean the data. They may put it on a pivot table. They make it pretty, right? Uh, we get the data analytics side of that. But there are actually over 90 .gov sources of contract information just across the World Wide Web. Um, and these are official .govs where contract information can be posted. So, you know, we love the old favorites when it comes to spending analysis, fpds.gov. I, I know that they were going to decommission it and transport it into SAM. They only did it a partial transfer. And as far as I've seen, they don't have any indication that they're going to move the rest of it and actually decommission the site. They would say they would do them SBO, but definitely that, I mean, it depends on what your market is. There's like DOD contracts is a great website. Um, all the individual agency forecasting, surely. And of course there's the classics like Sam.gov, whether we like it or don't like it, it is the main source of contract information for the federal government. Okay, cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I shall return with Lisa Shea Munt right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Lisa Shea Munt. She is with the Pulse of GovCon. You can find them at thepulsegovcon.com, all one word. Um, so we were just talking about contract sources. Let's talk about some, uh, some contract information. What's, uh, what's hot, what's coming down the pike, fill in the blanks, please. Sure. So, you know, part of the pulse and sometimes the unsatisfactory answer that we give is it depends. We don't like to say, you know, hard and fast, you absolutely as a small business need to get on this contract. You need to look at this GWAC, yada, 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 because it's so dependent on your service areas and what you're trying to sell to the federal government. So just to give some perspective in terms of what the federal government is buying from small businesses, over the course of FY16 to FY20, the things that were most purchased from small businesses 
just across everyone was primarily office management, travel support services, and industrial products. So now in there, did I mention like health IT or anything of that matter? No, not necessarily. So the people that would be going after health IT contracts would certainly have looked at HHS COSP4, you know, after that debacle and everything as it went in. But if you're looking more on, you know, travel support services, industrial products, then that will certainly change as well. But in terms of the most popular vehicles that the federal government has used to access small business contractors over the past year have been GSA OASIS, small business, the GSA mass schedule and the GSA IT70 schedule. So that's if people say they're on a GSA schedule, those are two of them. Uh, VA, T4NG, if you're a VA um, contractor, you know, particularly NASA soup, huge if you're with NASA. COSP3 small business was heavily utilized, which is why COSP4 was such a hot ticket. And then GSA 8A stars two previously, and then stars three is um, upcoming. But again, it really depends on what you're trying to sell. And so something that I want to talk about with the contracts and what's hot and what's not is for small businesses, I just want to caution going after the new hot ticket on the street. Let's use an example of COSP4. We had so many small businesses come to Amber and I that said, do I need to get on COSP4? And we said, do, do you do health IT? And they said, no. I said, well, do you do IT? <laughs> and then you kind of went down from there, right? Just chipping away to say, do you want it because everybody has it? Or do you want it because it's going to be the best way for the federal government to access you for what you sell? Um, so it depends. <laughs> All right. So, you know, SP4 is a services vehicle. NITAC runs three GWACs, CIO SP4. Uh, are they still running the small biz side of that? Or are they going to combine? So they're currently running the small business side of that now under COSP3. Um, I believe the intention is to move forward and combine that. But if you saw, I... I mean, even the protests that have already been released under GAO for COSP4, I am cautious to say one way or the other how that procurement avenue is going to go. You know, we're just always, we're all just crossing our fingers that it doesn't go the way of Alliance Small Business. Well, I, I, I'll i tell you one way it's going to go. It's going to take a hell of a long time to award. Um, so true. Not, not a prediction of fact. Uh, <laughs> Very true. I would like to say also in terms of some of these contracts and in, in these vehicles is, you know, a lot of small businesses will come to us and they'll say, hey, I'm looking to get on a GSA schedule. And the first thing that we say is, okay, that's great. Why? And a lot of them can't really answer the question. And we did a little digging. And actually, if you Google how to do business with the federal government, one of the first .gov hits that you're going to get is from GSA, and it gives you a list of what you have to do to accomplish working with the federal government. You know, it says you got to register in SAM, you have to do this, and then like step three or four is you have to get on a GSA schedule, which is very misleading because you don't have to get on a GSA schedule to do business with the federal government. But it's almost sort of this standard that people are seeing now, especially small businesses, and they say, well, I... I need to get on this, it's limited competition. 
and to small businesses that think that, I'd like to say, yeah, yeah, it's limited competition. It's not full and open in the same way that opportunities that come out under SAM.gov are. But it's like saying that, you know, you went from inviting your 400 closest friends to your 250 closest friends. It's not a huge disparity between full and open and being on the schedule. And what a lot of people don't know, too, is that you have to still have an infrastructure to be able to bid on these RFQs in order to see any benefit from that. So, you know, talking about GSA mass schedule and IT70, people are like, oh, great, I got this schedule. I, I want a seat on it, but then can't do anything with it. And that's just vehicles in general, right? That's just a my soapbox. Yeah, well, 20 years ago, I started tracking companies, uh, how much they made on schedules. And the first report I did, Richard Mackey helped me. Uh, the first report that came out was 30% plus made $0 on schedule. Over half made less than $10,000. And that means you're not going to make your minimum 25 grand a year. So at that point, you know, more than 50% of the companies on GSA schedules were in line to be bumped off unless they really ramped up. The most important thing we found out, and I haven't tracked this in a while, but back then, the top five or 10 companies in each of the GSA categories, and back then there was over 30, um, <clears throat> the top five or 10 took better than 60% of the scheduled dollars. So you either know how to play the game or you don't. Absolutely. I think that is such an important point. And people just don't get that. And it's almost, it's so unfortunate to say, but some of these vehicles and things like schedules, they just become participation trophies that sit on your shelf if you don't know what to do with them. Yeah, you know, people say, hey, will you help me publicize the fact that I want a GSA schedule? And invariably, I have to say, no, I'm not going to help you because, you know, if you're on 70, you're with, you know, 4,500 other companies. Who cares? Um, <laughs> right. Absolutely. They can still be valuable. You can still use them, right? It's still one step less that the government has to go through. But yeah, it's certainly not this you know, superstar sticker that people think it is. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Lisa Shaman of the Pulse of GovCon. Find her at thepulsegovcon.com. Find her on LinkedIn, too. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Lisa Shaman, uh, my buddy, whose partner is Amber Hart, my other buddy. Uh, uh, yeah, I only have two buddies, by the way. Um, they are with the Pulse of GovCon. You can find them at thepulsegovcon.com. You can find them both on LinkedIn. Uh, take a look at their website. It's really quite interesting. The, uh, the membership platform is tiered. So uh, very, very affordable. And the first, first level is free. Um, so let's, let's talk about some market trends. What do you see happening here? Absolutely. So there are so many market trends that particularly impact small businesses and their success. And this is where I'm going to become a little bit of a downer if I haven't already been one. <laughs> so something that we just want small businesses to know is the trends surrounding federal procurement. And there have been a lot of different things that have implication for smalls. 
There's the move to category management in 2016. There's this idea of further contract consolidation and the bundling of requirements, which we're going to get into. Just shrinking contracting offices, that impacts all of us, but particularly smalls. And the focus on spending dollars versus the vendors in competition has all had significant impact on small businesses. So there's a couple of stats that I would like to cite um, because it's just really important in terms of the trends that we're seeing for smalls. So the SBA's recent FY20 goaling scorecard report came out and they said that the number of small businesses receiving government contracts continues on its four-year decline of 12.7%. So it's been declining for the last four years how many small businesses receive contracts. And this, this trend is going to continue, so hang with me. The 2019 Senate Committee report said that small business prime awardees declined 32% between FY09 and FY18. So that's a big gap, but a 32% decline is still pretty significant. And then probably the toughest pill to swallow is the 2019 Section 809 panel report that DOD's number of small business awardees had dropped more than 70% since 2011. So between 2011 and 2019, the number of awardees has dropped. Now, everything that I've been mentioning so far has been about small business dollars. The dollars are big. There are many, many dollars. But the amount of companies that are receiving these prime contract awards is shrinking significantly. So now, why does this happening and what does that have to do with small businesses? The thing that we are pointing to the most is this idea of contract consolidation and requirements bundling. So whereas before in the past maybe 10 years, you would see sort of onesie twosie FTE contracts that were really niche, you would just reach out and it might not be for any high dollar value, but it would be for something, a service that was really specific and particular. Now you're seeing that nested under larger contracts. You're seeing a contract for say, maybe it is just IT services, but then a component of it, maybe 30% of that is program management. Maybe 10% of that is marketing. And you'll see that in the statement of work. And so this is difficult and a barrier to entry for small businesses that only perform the one component of that. So, you know, if you're not a large company and you don't have all these different facets that you can say, oh yeah, I can do program management. Oh yeah, I can throw it half an FTE at marketing. I could do this. I could do that. Um, it becomes very difficult to win those contracts. So we've been seeing a lot of that and we're really only going to continue to see it just based on market trends. Okay, so on on the uh, on the bundling type scenarios, are the small business uh, quotas being bundled as part of the contract? Will the prime be obligated to have smalls filling X number of slots for women-owned, A-Day, Hub, etc.? Sometimes I honestly feel like I'm seeing that less and less. You know, Amber and I still work on proposals, we make sure that we're in it because that's how you stay in tune with procurement is by actually reading real solicitations day in and day out. And I feel like that was a requirement 
maybe three or four years ago where you'd see a lot of small business participation plans and you'd say, oh, you'd have this percentage for this, socioeconomic, this for this. But I, I feel like I've been seeing that less and less. So TBD. Yeah, it's, but, you know, we see the SBA uh, scorecard for agencies hitting their small business goals year after year. Um, I have a couple of friends, Mr. Timberlake in particular, who calls into question the validity of these uh, report cards. How do you guys <laughs> figure in on this? You're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the scorecards. We have some problems with the scorecards and the small business goaling just in general, because a goal is not a, a mandate and it's not a requirement, first and foremost. So some people will say, well, you know, this federal agency needs to meet their 5% women-owned small business goal. I said, no, no, they do not need to meet it. It's a goal. A goal, it's a, it's a target. It's something that they'll get, you know, a pat on the back for if they get it, but they won't get penalized if they don't hit it. So just based on that, we say, well, how much weight can small business scorecards and goalings really hold if there is no, th- there's no penalty for not meeting it so so there's that and also the small business goals are usually so low <laughs> that it's almost laughable too we're like okay so really you, you were trying to get three percent hub zone across your entire you know year uh, obligated funds and you maybe did like one percent it's it's so it's so hard and then there's always the issue of you know is, is this are they counting it just as prime contracts? Are they counting it as ones that are socioeconomic set aside? You know, there's just a lot of questions about the scorecard that we've never quite been able to get answered. Okay. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine today who's with a very significant large uh, systems integrator. And she asked if I knew any companies, small companies that were dealing with, you know, two particular clients that she's responsible for federal agencies. And I said, you know, really you guys are, you know, that can, she says, yes, I use them all the time uh, because sometimes the, you know, the contract will be set aside and we're going to be the sub. How often are you seeing that scenario play out? All the time. Constantly more than I, than I care to admit, Um, you know, and that's, that's what it gets down to. You know, I was talking to someone, they were like, well, how if there's been a 70% decline or, or whatever it is across, you know, the last eight years under DOD with these amount of vendors, how are they even staying small? How are they small businesses at all if the dispersal between these vendors is with this much money? And there's just so many different ways that larges confront these initiatives but then they are actually in charge, but you put a small business in front of it because you need them to prime to get access to these sort of small business set-asides. I mean, all the time. Okay. But it it still will help the small because if they are the lead, they are going to make money out of this. Oh, yeah. 51% of something is better than zero. <laughs> uh, yes. I, 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 I would think so. So, um, but, you know, again, it now it becomes a relationship game. Who do you talk to at the company? How do you build the relationship? How do you explain to them the value that you bring? Do you bring value beyond a technical expertise? 
because usually it's a multi-tiered uh, uh, approach. You know, you know the agency, you have the skills, you you know you've done work there before. Um, you know your CPARs are good, so you know. Oh, how, absolutely. How, how many of these things do you have to queue up? Oh, so many, and that's actually something that we've talked to a lot of small business clients about is. They'll say, well, I want to get a targeted customer communication plan or a call plan, and they want to target federal agencies, and they want to talk to the contracting officers. And we say, hey, you might be better off in some scenarios putting together a customer communication plan for large businesses to show your value to and to give the offers of a way to say, hey, this is how we can benefit a partnership with you. In a lot of ways, a great bargaining chip for smalls is to say that they'll take on some of the proposal development burden because people don't want to do proposals. So if you have somebody internally and you're trying to get a teaming agreement together so that you can be, you know, the prime and the large business subcontractor, say that you'll carry the proposal effort. Um, that's certainly huge, but you're right. You need to show customer intimacy for these people. Um, you need to show which niche areas you can meet. Um, you need to show that you have good past performance and that you would be a solid prime for some of these large business subs. Cool. All right. We're going to take our last break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'll be back with Lisa right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm wrapping up today with Lisa Shea Munt. Uh, Not to say we're wrapping up. She'll be back on another show. Uh, Probably not in the distant future. Um, and if I'm in studio, maybe it'll be her and her partner. Uh, we are, we are remote right now. I'm, I'm, I've been spoiled. We're doing remote shows. Um, so Lisa, we, we need to talk about some tips and tactics for smalls because usually when I get calls from them, their efforts are all over the board or they're nowhere. There's, there's very few, that have a serious grasp on what they need to do. So give me your list. Certainly. Oh man, the smalls that don't know what they don't know, that's the hardest folks to work with. And so I would say just first and foremost, that as a tip and a tactic, small businesses have to have a pretty solid understanding of the components that we've listed here today. They have to understand the market intel behind what it is that they're selling with their customer base. They have to understand the contract info. They need to know what they're targeting. They have to have an opportunity pipeline that is realistic and that has a front of funnel that meets their strategic needs and vision. And so by that, I mean, some people will say, well, I want to do business with the federal government. And we say, great. What kind of business do you want? Prime work? Do you want sub work? Do you want um, work that's a certain dollar value or FTE amount? Um, is it, does it not matter? And you would just be able to, you know, what can you handle? What size contract? That's another one for small businesses. Some look at some of these really large contracts and we say, well, are you even equipped to go after that? Because it's not the same as the commercial world or, you know, business to consumer. It's not that you just wow a customer you, you know, sign an agreement and then you send them an invoice after you perform it. There are so many other legal components that are necessary. There's accounting, 
that needs to be considered. So, you know, even winning too large a bid, if you don't have the infrastructure to support it, could decimate your company. So understanding that, understanding what um, agencies you want to target, just having that opportunity pipeline figured out um, is so important. And then from there, you can know what opportunities you want to go after, but you need to have an understanding of the market trends. And you also have to understand how to actually go after the business. And so that's kind of where we get into the tips and tactics um, that you need to know is how do you go after the business and what is going to impact your ability to go after that business? So something that I would like to point out is that small businesses need to pay attention to relevant small business regulations. And sometimes we almost separate, you know, congressional initiatives and what's happening on the Hill with federal contracting. I don't know why they are so innately related, but I guess people just don't want to really think about it. But, you know, just looking at the future right now with this administration's small business equity goals and diversity and inclusion message, there's a lot that's going to impact, impact small businesses. So, for example, we have, um, you know, the good faith and small business subcontracting, which the FAR is going to have a rule to address good faith efforts to comply with small business subcontracting plans, like we had mentioned before. Um, there's going to be the Price Act of 2021 that's been reintroduced. It's bipartisan legislation to encourage innovation and in contracting and to expand opportunities for small businesses to work with the federal government. So that will certainly impact small businesses. There's things like, actually, something that I do want to talk about is getting caught up in alternate procurement methods because they promise simplicity. So for example, small businesses will come to me and say, well, I'm a small and I want to do a SIBR. And we go, okay, why? And they say, because it's for small businesses. <laughs> and not necessarily understanding that just because it promises simplicity from FAR-based procurement and contracting doesn't mean that there isn't a whole litany of other rules and steps that you have to take. Um, you know, I think we clocked it in at like 200 additional fields that you need to fill in just to put in your Cyber Phase 1 application. Um, it's, it's lengthy. Now, that being said, there is, in, for future uh, regulations, new Cyber and Cyber Phase 3 transition pilot program is going to be coming out. Um, they've proposed to establish a pilot program to help transition more Phase 2 awardees into Phase 3. Uh, you know, just a whole other bunch of things like that CMMC, uh, that who knows what's going to happen with that. I don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, but it could impact you, certainly. Yes. Uh, um, see, yeah. But, you know, when do we need to worry about it? <clears throat> um, who knows? Exactly. But yes, pay, pay, more... pay attention. Right. Pay attention to it. There's some more pressing ones. You know, if you are SDVOSB or VOSB, um, the verification transferring to SBA is going to take place in January 1, 2023. So that actually eliminates the VA's separate SDVOSB and VOSB certification program and will eventually eliminate self-certification for non-VA SDVOSB procurements. So that came out of like the FY21 NDAA. And so if you're not reading the NDAA, you might not have known that. Um, let's and and, and like stop there. Level. Stop there a second. How long was the NDAA? <laughs> it's long. <laughs> That's 
how you get people like the Pulse to read it for you <laughs> and disseminate the information. Right. You need, you need to, plug. you need somebody to decipher. Even if you read it yourself, you need somebody to decipher. That's true. That's true. That's where you really want Amber in your court. I'm, I'm too impatient. Amber's like, oh, I'd like to read this 600 pages for fun. Okay, weirdo. <laughs> She's also the kind of person just to, to make poke fun at her, where when she goes for a run, she listens to political podcasts instead of music. Isn't that zany? <laughs> um, well, you know, different strokes, right? That's, that's quite the stroke. I made fun of her for that for a long time. I, and then there's also things like, the $15 an hour minimum wage for federal contractors like that, of course, is going to impact small businesses. Okay. Um, so what, what else we got here? Um, so let, let's talk about some tips and tactics for targeting, you know, so, you know, you can't prime something, but you want to play on a larger contract, you know, the vehicle and, now you may have a name or two of somebody at the prime. What do you do? At the prime, I mean, it's exactly the same way as reaching out to your federal customers. You know, you have to have a plan, as we mentioned. You need to, and I think you need to really lean on teaming if you're a small. And smalls, especially, I think, if they're new to the market, they have an issue wrapping their head around why they would want to go after some of these procurements with other people. But I think that that's an immaturity on what it actually takes to put together some of these federal bids, because, you know, that's another thing too, just for some of these smalls, they'll be like, well, I want to do business with the federal government, but I don't want to invest in proposal development. I don't want to invest in a person. I don't want to invest in a business developer to track these opportunities, um, you know, or if I do hire a capture manager, I want to see an immediate return on investment when that's just not the way that the federal sales cycle works. You can't expect, you know, a capture manager to increase revenue within six months because that's just not how things get awarded. Um, so it's this idea of leaning on teammates to also just distribute the burden of what it actually takes to find the source, that opportunity, you know, vet that opportunity and then go after that opportunity. It's not necessarily just about operating on the opportunity. It's kind of all of this front matter. And that's why teaming is so important for smalls. Okay. And so you guys are on the front end of that as a consultant, but when somebody calls you, how do you you uh, convince them that they really need adult supervision pursuing <laughs> this particular? Well, that's what it is, right? So you're the, you're a new kid. It's a new school. You don't know anybody. Uh, you don't know what clubs to join. You don't know what after school activities to engage in. You need a guide, right? So what do you tell them? Right. Well, our approach is maybe a little more blunt than some other gentler folks that I'm sure exist in the market. We typically tell them that they have no business going after something by themselves. We we talk about the cost that it would in, they could incur in order to put this together and how, again, there's no guarantee that you're going to win. And that is sort of the game of federal procurement, right? It takes money 
to make money and it's high stakes, high reward. Um, it, but that also means that there's no guarantees. And so just to disperse that, that's typically the selling point for people too, right? D- distribute the burden, distribute the risk to other people so that you are not incurring it yourself. Um, it, it can be difficult because people have pride when they say, well, I can do this better. I can perform these services. And we say, okay, you can perform it, but so can 80,000 of your closest friends out there, right? Like there's a reason that they say on the federal proposal side of the house that a company is lucky if they have one differentiator between themselves and their competitors, because people can do the job. It's really what what really is going to differentiate you? You know what I mean? How is it really going to impact your client differently if you work with them versus somebody else? Um, and that's a, a tough pill for people to swallow. They drink their own Kool-Aid and they think they have a lot of pride in, in ownership and authorship over what they do. So, yeah, it's, it's sitting down and saying, hey, how much of this risk are you willing to incur? Yeah, that's... Uh... That's excellent advice. I, you know, I, from that little bit right there, I have like 10 other questions, but we're out of time. Um, Lisa, thanks so much for joining me today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I was so happy to join. You can find Lisa on LinkedIn, last name M-U-N-D-T. You can find her at thepulsegovcon.com. And I suggest you take a look at the site. Um, please keep in mind that radio is not my day job. I consult with companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, particularly one of the points that Lisa made uh, in that last part, differentiation. We help companies develop subject matter expert platforms and support those with social selling tactics, content, and account-based marketing, which we did not get into today, Lisa. But... um, If any of that resonates, drop me a line, Mark Amtower at Gmail. If you need help on that that other side of things, please give Lisa a shout. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.